0: I'm Ron Stefanski, and I'm the du- Executive Director of Partnerships and Centric Learning. And I'm here today to launch our podcast with my colleague, collaborator, and co-conspirator, Dr. Caesar Micken, formerly an executive at Detroit Public Schools. And our podcast is going to be about disrupting education. That's why it's called Disrupt Ed. And so we're here today to talk with Madeline Black, who's the superintendent of the Way Academy here in Detroit, Michigan, and I think to start things off, um, Caesar, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the topic of the day, which, as we look at this pandemic, and we listen to all the conversations we've been having with superintendents, it really comes down to the to the real challenge of learning loss right now, doesn't it?
1: yeah i agree and let me let me also add something ron in terms of disrupt ed, not only are we talking about disrupting education but transforming it as well so our, our program although we call it disrupt ed, it's really about finding solutions to really change where we're going with education and yet one of the biggest topics is is of course learning loss you know what bothers me though is that the African Americans, black students, and students of color ha- have always had a learning loss, you know? And now that white kids and middle class and upper class kids are having a learning learning loss due to the virtual learning, now it's a big deal. Everybody wants to talk about it, you know. But but I think one of our, our program is going to talk about more than just the learning loss. But what are some of the solutions? How do we close this achievement gap and surpass it with minority and and economically disadvantaged students so i'm intrigued to talk about learning loss but i just want to keep that in mind that we don't want to go back to where it was because if we go back to where it was after the before the pandemic then our children of color and economically disadvantaged are going to still lose out you know so i think we need to talk about solutions so that's kind of where i am and this this show this opening show, Ron, and, and you mentioned it, is like a prelude. What we want to try to do is hit on a couple of topics and not go real deep into them, but really begin to, to look at some of the challenges that uh, we face in education overall. And
0: this kind of reminds me, Cesar, uh, when we first started working together, uh, when I was at Michigan Virtual and you were at Detroit Public Schools, um, right as the millennium was coming on. And when we developed um our virtual academy for detroit public schools i remember our first article and when i hear you talking about learning lots for african-american kids it immediately reminds me that the role you've always played in these discussions for me is kind of keeping the conversation honest and real so if you remember when we first launched that first presentation the secretary of education rod page you started off our conversation talking about educational genocide and i privately thought to myself whoa that's a big topic but what it framed for me back then and 20 years later is just as relevant is that we need to look at what's happening to kids of color in our school districts and we need to look at the achievement gap we need to look at learning we need to frame all of these things in terms of ensuring that every student has equal access to a high quality education. When you mentioned the word transforming, it immediately reminded me, we have a moral imperative. If we believe every student is mm-hmm. entitled to a high quality education, we have a moral imperative to ensure access, equity, in transforming the educational experience for every student, or else we run the risk of allowing the pandemic and every other challenge that we face in the education system To derail us and to take us backwards, and I think you're right. We want to move this conversation forward. So I think that's a really, really good point. Um, In terms of a prelude, you know, I'm at that age where transformation really works for me because I want to be around to see some of this stuff look different than it does right now. I'm looking outside my window and I look at the city of Detroit and I think about all the all the students in yesterday's newspaper, the Wall Street, in the uh, Washington Post. You know how many students have left the building in Detroit Public Schools this semester alone? Over 3,000 students. They started out with 8,000 students lost, and and they found about 5,000 of them, but 3,000 of them are still not engaged in their education. So I'm also really excited in this first podcast to introduce to uh, the world of education a dear friend and a passionate advocate for kids, and that's uh, that's Madeline Black, superintendent of the Way Academy. So, Madeline, why don't you come on board in this conversation and introduce yourself and and kind of share with us when you hear the words "learning loss"? What does it mean to you? Because you're right in the trenches with students right now.
2: Okay. Well, thanks, Ron and Caesar. I'm glad to be here today. And um, you're right. I'm right in the midst of it. And you know, just to hit on what you guys were talking about. One thing about making sure everybody has the opportunity and equity is a, a new a new um, I guess philosophy which is culturally responsive education. Right? So when we're talking about black and brown children who have learning loss. One size model, one size, you know, opportunity is not going to be a fit for all of our kids. When you look at culturally responsive education is how you train your teachers and staff and the programs you have to be able to understand and embrace what your children come from. And that's going to be even more critical as we return to schools um, from this pandemic and try to address the learning loss along with all the social and emotional things that have happened to our children that we know, if we look at statistics, the things that go on in some of the the communities and homes and struggles and economic impact. So not only do we have to have the academic solutions, we also have to have the social emotional solutions and supports and mental health supports as well.
0: So Madeline, you were talking about social emotional learning and it seems to me that That's where the education for each kid requires a village because you need not only your caring staff, but you and your executive team, your leadership team to be working on that, as well as the parents and bringing others into the mix. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you choreograph all of that so that the student does have that total learning experience.
2: Right. So, what we've done, especially with, you know, in the pandemic and even um, pre-pandemic with our schools we are of course we're project-based but we also have a model where we actually are able to embrace our families and students in a different and unique way um we do you know all of us we do home visits with our students which a lot of schools are starting to do now we have parent nights we have uh uh positions in our uh, school called team leaders who really work to remove those barriers from um, that are interfering with achieving academic goals but part of those barriers we realize are as we said social emotional it could be you know uh, things as far as transportation or supports the family needs so when we find those out we really focus on using our um Funding sources to make sure we build in those supports. So specifically for these times, we really built up our social emotional program for our staff and our students and our um, our parents to have those um, mental you know health support programs. Um, we have uh, on, you know online self support. We also put in uh, 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 psychologists who make it, provide support. Uh, to our students who who need that, with you know, course family permission, and we also have a one program I would like to highlight. We have in our Detroit school is a, a shout out. It's called Jacob's um, Kids. I'm um, Caleb's Kids. I apologize, and they come in and do weeks of um, heavy uh, intervention with our students around things of you know suicide prevention. Uh, How to interact positively with others, how to manage anger, how to, you know, all these different things we need to have in place in order to be able to have the right mindset to engage in, you know, learning. And that all is going to play a big part in where we're returning to uh, our buildings, is really making sure that when we get our students back in the building, that we continue those supports. And also, I'm losing my thought, I'm sorry, but also we want to make sure that we also build in that relationship piece that we spend so long developing, because now we're able to say, hey, we've shown, you know, we care, we care about you, the social, the emotional, all these things that have been going on, we've mitigated together and worked together. So now it's time to dive into, you know, testing is a big thing that's coming up. We need you to test. We know a lot of kids right now could, you know, they're not even showing up for school. How do we get them to care about um, testing? How do we care about, you know, finding out where you are? So those conversations become a little bit easier once you have that relationship built strong. And that's what I'm really getting at, is that our schools primarily first, we build a strong relationship. And once we have that, we're able to move the kids to the to the goal of um, graduation. And post-secondary opportunities what's the name of your school again uh way academy great hey you know Marilyn one one of
1: the things I was talking to some other colleagues about in Ohio especially with the trauma that has occurred as a result of the pandemic is looking at the mental and and social health of our staff you know and I don't think we can underplay that at all and so what what I've done and working with people around the country is that we developed a whole series of webinars on mental Mm -hmm. health with counselors and with the staff because they have have been this has been a traumatic experience for them as well and I think you know and and it sounds like you're doing some of that
2: but I was just gonna say uh one 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 thing is that um the return to learn one one thing that two things I see that have kind of happened that worry me a bit Um, we're asking some teachers have been virtual for a long time, so now it's you know come back into the building. They've adjusted to you know their routines, how they're working their virtual classrooms, and I, I'm we're gonna have to have those supports because you know people been at home for a year and a half, living in that bubble, and now they're coming back into this social situation. So better recognize and have those supports, and you know ease people you know, back in because teachers, you know, they're people and they, they have real lives and, you know, considerations. So um, I'm really focused on that. And then also, um, even outside of the teachers, a lot of our students, even though they're not in school and we've tried to keep, you know, kids safe. This was the reason they have jobs and some of them are working two jobs because we talk about that economic gap. So they found a way to work 20 hours here. And still be part-time work 20 hours here so now it's returned to the buildings some kids are like no i'm fine i'm making money so it's gonna have to be i believe some of these jobs and companies you know who are hiring these students to really look at these work permits and make sure that they have a focus on getting these kids back in school
0: right that's Amen. a really good point you know caesar i was going to go back to something you know, Madeline, you've talked about so many different supports that you have to create that sort of ideal relationship with the student. And embedded in your answer was a really critical part of that, which is you said at the outset that your program is project based. And whenever I hear that word project based in the company of Caesar Mickens, I know he's going to want to say a little bit more about uh, what an advocate he is for using project based learning as an instructional model to really address student achievement. Caesar, yes. I, I just wanna give you an opportunity to weigh in on
1: that. Yeah, and and, and before I do that though, I just wanna mention something else that that Madeline raised. And that's really about um, about the mental health of our instructional and support staff. And so one of the things that, that uh, we helped put together at another location was a survey, and a survey to staff only. And that survey looked at Um, how they felt, you know, and so, and they didn't have to put their names by the way. So we just wanted to get an idea of the impact that the pandemic has had on them as well, because they lost loved ones, you know, people, friends, and you know, the whole nine yards. And I think we need to really be careful about how we reintroduce them and, and not just from an academic standpoint, but also from that whole social, emotional, and Madeline, I don't know why I want to call you, Marilyn, Madeline, Madeline, Madeline. (laughs) But but we we really want to make sure that that we cover the base. So Ron mentioned the the, uh, project-based learning that you guys are really uh, based on. And you know, I'm an extreme high advocate of it. And you know why? Because the research has proven this out that if you engage children at another level, active learning strategies, getting them involved in their own learning, kind of controlling their own destiny, they perform better. In a recent research study, and I shared these with you, Madeline, came out that showed that project-based learning had a tremendous impact on economically disadvantaged and students of color. You know, and, and we've known this for a long time from an anecdotal standpoint, but the research is building up on it. The challenge is, and go back to the staff, is that we haven't prepared, especially in the whole K twelve arena, we haven't prepared our staff to teach project based learning. They do in elementary school, though, right from from K to like fifth or fourth grade. That's all they do. They cross curriculum, and you know the teachers work together, and they do many projects. But when they get to uh, uh, middle school that's it that's it you know stand up and And that's why i think your model is is such a great model and what they've also shown by the way in this recent research is that it accelerates learning so if we're really going to talk about closing the achievement gap we need to take a different pedagogical approach and it's not it's not new right (laughs) i mean but but we need to prepare enough teachers so that they can really engage our students and that's just one aspect because one of the other things we need to really take a look at in terms of equity is look at the disciplinary aspects of what we're doing in suspensions of our students you know and that's going to be a whole topic we're going to spend a whole hour on that. I'm ready
2: for, you know, please invite me back. I was just talking about that culturally responsive education. You know, the way you look at a a certain behavior, just for example, you know, a a student could be loud in class and you can say, you know, why are they so loud? You know, they need to be quiet versus they talk, you know, where the environment they're in, you have to talk loud to be heard all the time. And you know the way you look at that. Well, I want you out of class because you're talking too loud. Or you know, I, I would say this about myself. I recently wrote a paper, and I, I remember one of the greatest compliments I had was that someone told me when I was a building principal. You know, you're the only principal I've ever known where the kids were excited to go to the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Because, you know, it's really a place in, especially in inner cities, I have teachers right. who sometimes have to get to that space of looking at things differently. So I respect my, what, I look at the issue from where a student is coming from and also where a teacher is coming from and how can we bring them together and see what the true problem is. Sending them home is not the issue. Let's look at what's going on. Let's all sit right. down together and figure out right. how we can, you know, get through this.
1: The research is just on this, right? And so, Madeline, you gave a really good example. And that example was when a kid is in class and he's talking loud, you know, that from a cultural standpoint, you know, a teacher might say, especially if it's a student of color and it's a white teacher and black teachers too, that this student needs to be removed from class. However, if it's a white student that's being loud, then the attitude is, well, they're just rambunctious. Right. So and the research has been done. I'm not I'm not making this up. Right. And so I think your your whole cultural responsive teaching has to be integrated into that. And I want to say one last thing, Mattel, and I will send you this research. There is a, an organization called Child's Trend. And what they, they developed this model called Integrated Student Supports, ISS. And they integrate it from a systemic standpoint, everything that you talked about. To, to service the entire child and not just one aspect.
2: Mm-hmm. And you know, the state of Michigan, I'm excited about the new uh, school improvement process called MyKIP, And it's really this whole aspect of the whole child. And the way we begin to look at school improvement is changing. So it's not just from academic goals. It's also like we're seeing those social, emotional, health, well-being. So I'm really excited to see the different um, programming and how schools are going to change uh, with this new new process. And then, um, yeah, that's what I want to say about that. The is very, very interesting.
0: Well, you know, when you talk about student engagement, it seems to me that's really important that we choose our words carefully. So Caesar, you were talking about acceleration. I think that's such a great word as an alternative to the often used word remediation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like, Madeline, when you're working with your students, they come to you at risk They have uh, a number of different challenges that uh, potentially other students don't. Um, But it's also clear the way you're describing this, that you're not remediating students. You're kind of meeting them on their terms by establishing the strong relationship and then developing a learning plan for them that engages them in their own learning.
2: Right. Intelligence is not something that, you know, it's it's not based on what zip code you come from i do believe you have the capacity or you don't you can develop certain things and i find with a lot of our children um that i service they're brilliant they just haven't had the opportunity to express it in the ways um or be noticed for the things where they have talent so that's one thing about project-based learning when you get kids engaged in that it's so many different ways that you can demonstrate that you understand the the content standard so I mean, whether you're doing a poetry or you're doing a, a video with it, you know, the, it's not just writing a paper. It's about public presentation, or being recognized for the skills that you do bring, and then we can work on the ones that you need to develop. But you're not starting from a deficit. We start our kids already that you, you know, you're brilliant, and it may you need to work on this. But look at all this you have, right? And then we can build build from there.
1: Now that's such a great point because what happens in many and your staff is unique and and so are you because when a child comes in you don't start from the deficit model you when a child comes in you say this child can excel to a tremendous level but too often what we do well that child is three great levels behind so i'm going to remediate the child where he or she is which is a huge mistake and you know who else understood this was post-secondary so they had all these courses in post-secondary remedial classes be, you know, before you got credit. And what they found out that those students who participated in that, like 80% of them didn't graduate, didn't continue their program. However, when they started putting people in the, in the courses from the very beginning credited courses, they did complete at a much higher rate. So remediation does not work for anyone. Right. And so that's what, and project-based learning gives you an opportunity for students to accelerate, you know, at a high level because they're doing something that they love. You know, and when we find that, like Ron always says, when we find that sweet spot, <laughs> then we take advantage of it. Cause you know, our children are in big trouble, huge trouble. And we need to figure out a way on a on a s on a mass scale to help our students, our minority students, our economically disadvantaged students take advantage of all these career openings, STEM openings that they can't feel.
2: We had a a really interesting project um, at one time at our school in Southwest. And it it was science concepts. But how do you get the kids to care about that? They did a project that was really successful called What's That Smell." And it was down near the, uh, I guess, the River Rouge area around right. that area, all that, you know, sludge.
0: Right. What
2: is that? Why does it smell like that when you're And The kids were like, yeah. So then that branched out into, okay, let's bring awareness. They end up going to a um, city county meeting and presenting, you know, on some of their, their findings and solutions. So they, they really began to care, and that built, you know, community care. And isn't that the overall goal of schools? I think we moved so far from um, the real purpose, I believe. Not the real purpose, but I remember when I was in school, it was a community feel. The schools were open at night for community events. It was about becoming a good citizen and a good contributor to your society. So, it, it, you know, I think project Base allows that to come back in. It's not just opening a book, learning the answer, getting a grade on a test.
0: Caesar, do you remember the story of that young man that we met when we were setting up the virtual academy with Western International High School? This was probably 20 years ago, but he was uh, sitting in the principal's office when we went over to meet with her. Mm-hmm. You remember that? I remember him, yes. Oh, it was incredible. So Madeline, we were waiting to meet with the building principal to talk about our virtual academy. Mm-hmm. And there was this young man sitting, uh, waiting to meet with the principal. And so Caesar started engaging him he didn't want to leave him there just to uh to sweat it out until the principal came for him and so he asked him what he was doing there and he said well i've been uh, you know i'm I have a detention that I have to talk to the principal about and he said, "Well, why did you get a detention and uh, He said, "Because I tried to hotwire a car, and this is in the days when you could actually do that with a vehicle right, right. And, um, so Caesar was thinking about that, and then I looked over and I saw that this young man had uh, this book or what appeared to be a book, but it was all taped with duct tape and everything. Mm-hmm. I and I said, that. what is it, remember that? And I said, yep, what? "I do. And he said, this is my game book. And oh. I said, what do you mean this is your game book? And he opened it up, and you know what it was? It was a physics textbook. Right. And he had found that someone had thrown out, and he taped the cover back to it. And when I said, "What do you mean this is a game book?" He said, "Well, in every chapter, you go in there, and there are these games at the end that you can figure out." <laughs> he was figuring out the end of chapter exercises. Right. 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 Ah, this is brilliant.
2: Yeah.
0: Caesar you know, immediately went in the in the meeting with the principal and said, "We just found our first AP math and physics student, <laughs> and we enrolled him in math and physics, and he excelled." Right. He excelled what yeah. Caesar recognized about that young student was, if he was smart enough to be able to hotwire a car, then he had all the cognitive skills he mm-hmm. needed, but they weren't being challenged in the classroom. Yeah. And so it, it seems to me that that's almost a human aspect to project-based learning mm-hmm. that you were talking about earlier, is that you create some kind of an authentic experience for the student to participate in their own learning.
1: Right. And you know who your students are. And that's what Madeline, that's why I I really appreciate what what you're doing for our children. Because you look at the whole student and then capture that student's interest so that student can develop him or herself, you know, and move to the next level. I just think that's so phenomenal.
2: How the world works once you graduate. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work in compartmentalized uh, of uh, situations like some schools, you know, operate. It works in teams. It works in collaboration. It works where you know you have a, a program or a math person talking to a linguistic person, you know. So and you you build on each other's strength. Nobody's suspecting you know have one person that does it all. So they immediately are looking for skills. That's what the society is moving toward: is a society of recognizing what skills you have, and we don't allow our students to develop skills, but in project-based learning, you, be, you become well aware of what your skills are.
1: You work on those. So if you, yes. are, if you are deficit in an area, you really? work to build those up, but not in isolation to the project, right? It's integrated into the project, which is what which is so phenomenal. And that's why you can accelerate learning, by the way, because it all goes back to that. Because my, my goal is to eliminate the achievement gap. And you can't eliminate it by concentrating where the students are starting, but you need to eliminate it based on where you you want the students to go, right? I mean, that's not a deficit model, right? A
2: student one time, you know, a couple instances, and you know where you talk about critical thinking skills that are as a, a huge component of project-based learning. I'll never forget I was in a, a a grocery store, and this kid is bringing you know a couple baskets at a time, and you know, just, you know, I'm just, and then I see another one. He's developed a whole little system on how to like bring in like 30 or 40 of them at a time <laughs> you get to see the different critical thinking skills, or how right. sort of a problem-based type of thing. How can I do this better? But you, sometimes you just fall in, this is what you talk. Your job is to bring in these baskets, bring them in. You see somebody do one at a time, but our kids look at, what is a solution to make a better right. solution to this right. problem?
1: And how do you how do you develop those skills? Because exactly, of the issue, right? as opposed to keeping students where they are. You know, yes, I just wanted sir. to mention mention one thing about one of the programs we're going to have uh, and dedicate some time to is you know school discipline and all that kind of stuff. But you know, during this pandemic, have you noticed no one has mentioned the word discipline? You know, no, I mean, I mean, students, (laughs) as Ron said before, but no one, we we haven't chastised children, right, because we, I mean, I mean, even though they may not be as learning as much as you want to because you transfer just lecturing on a computer as opposed to in, in class, but nonetheless. The discipline problem has been eliminated. That's why I'm my my goal and my saying is I
2: don't want to go back to normal. Talk about breaking that mold of traditional education. How do we do that? So that's what I'm saying. Even in industry, you know, people have been used to work working from home. Hey, I, I work. I'm running my whole company right from my home. I'm able to do. Why do I have to go back? <laughs> you know, just for the sake of it. So the same with education. Why do we have to go back to the same? Right. You know way we did it before.
0: Well, Madeline, you're speaking to the choir here because our whole podcast is all dedicated to not going backwards and talking about how to disrupt and transform. So the two of you have done a really excellent job of of framing some of the challenges that students are are finding in an urban setting, but some of the ways and some of the strategies you've employed uh, to kind of turn that on its head and bring real achievement uh, forward. So if you were to talk in the language of transformation, Madeline or Caesar, what would you conclude from the conversation we've had today about learning loss and the way that we need to transform education um, to look at learning loss and to look at learning gains instead, perhaps?
2: So Go ahead, I Madeline. I'll, I'll... Well, I, I think in order to, looking at that mindset of transformation, it's just really, um, making sure that we are able to measure where our students are, figure out where we need them to be, but then also do that in a, a, a socially and emotionally responsive way, taking into considerations of where the students have been and build programs that um, meet their needs and build upon their strengths. And are also are targeted to um, help mitigate any, um, I guess, proficiencies that they need to improve. Mm-hmm.
1: And just to add to that, Madeline, because I agree with all that that 100%. I think we have to do something in addition to that, and that is we have to have some other ancillary programs so our Mm -hmm. students who are behind can catch up, right? And so one of the things that we need to start looking at are intensive summer school programs. And when I say intensive, I mean project-based. That are rigorous that engage students, not the same old traditional model that we've used for summer school. I think that's I think that's key to helping our children close that that gap. Because I don't care what nobody says, if our students can't read, then they're not going to get a job, and then and the, the statistics show that they the pathway is to prison, you know, or to poverty, you know. So I think it's really important to look at how do we develop a different kind. A uh, summer school initiative, a different kind of after school program and weekend program, and not the same thing that they're doing during the traditional school, right? Something that's different that will engage them. That's the only way we're going to really close this gap, so that they have a chance.
2: Absolutely, they have to want to come. And we definitely don't want that uh, that pipeline to prison. But isn't it strange, though, when you look at the, the some of the graduation rates, college achievement, law degrees that are achieved in prison, how does that happen if, you know, there wasn't any brilliance there in the first place? We've missed something.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Well, and I think just to go back, Caesar, for just a second, the question I always have when you talk about summer programs or boot camps, is if you can't get the student motivated to participate in it, mm-hmm. it's sort of game over, isn't it? And yes. I think a lot of students, unfortunately, look at summer school as a penance. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the it's the consequence of not behaving in school. It's right. the consequence of something that they did. Credit it's- recovery, right. Right. And so if it's going to be transformative, how do you how do you how do you transform that paradigm mm-hmm. so that summer school is something that students actually look forward to? You and know, I, think, I, you know, I yeah. think the superintendents and that's why I think
1: Allen is so key to this process, because the leader of the school district has to say, we're going to make a difference. We're going to transform this process and not just with students, but explaining it to the parents as well and how the parents can support that process, how the community can support that process. So when students do presentations from, from their projects, that the community is a part of that, that they're listening to it, that businesses provide avenues for students to do what Madeline was talking about before, to do part-time jobs, right? To, do, to help sustain their development. And, and, and McKinley did some uh, some research on this that shows that the economic benefits to society are phenomenal you know so the payoff on this is just tremendous but we have to start somewhere
2: we have to transform or not even transform but provide and help students build a vision for their future That's a good and where they you know yeah. a good exercise is vision boarding I believe every student should have a vision board on their wall. And when you, I've sat down with kids before and said, "Let's build this vision board." We had an activity where you come and do that. Sometimes they don't know where to start. I'm like, "Is it? You know, it's possible." Well, put some vacation spots where you want to go. Well, I don't know. I never thought about you know traveling outside. So we're all the horizons of what's possible.
1: That's a very good point, Madeline. I totally agree. And unfortunately, we, uh, we haven't prepared our teachers. And, and I'm talking about post-secondary institutions. They haven't prepared our teachers to teach uh, project-based learning, to integrate the social-emotional aspect to it. And what we need to, so we need to have some additional professional development that focuses on all of these areas in a very methodical way. Because our kids are super smart. I've never met a kid that wasn't smart. I never, in my life. And I've talked to a lot of them. So let me give an example right quick. So I was on this project in Ohio and I went to one of the schools. And so this young lady, you know, was in the hallway while we were waiting. And I asked her, I said, so what are you doing? You know, what's, what's, uh, what's, what's your goal? She was in 11th grade. She said, well, I do hair. I said, okay, that's great. I said, "What well, you know what you need to think about while you're doing hair? It's how you do your own business. So what you need to do is take some business classes. I didn't say, well, that's a dead end job. No, you need to own your own shop. Right and rent out your chairs, right? And so I mean, it's a different approach to students. If that's her interest, hey, go for it. But own your own business, right? And I think that's the thing that we have to have with our children.
2: We have a project that we do called Build Your Own Business, the economic project. Be your own boss. I'm sorry. And we actually had a mother and daughter who were struggling with you know house no payments, and she ended up making a business out of. I believe it was a. It was either a cream or a can or something she was making, and she did the whole business plan and everything. They stopped selling and selling, and they actually made money wow. to help
1: them
2: through and the project. A lot of
0: examples
1: like that, and but we need to integrate that early on in our children's education so that they have a chance. Right now, when you look at the poverty rates, if you look at the incarceration rates, and then you go backwards and see what happened in this child's life, you know we aren't developing our children the way we should. Now think about this, think about middle-class and upper-class children. You, you, you look at them and from the very beginning, you know, they have a pathway for them. Now they, many and many of them take advantage of it, right? And, and that's what we need to begin to do. You know, the they have a project in Ohio that, that I'm working with called City of Learners in Dayton, Ohio. And the concept around the City of Learners is birth to career. You know, they have a, a they pull together a different, a number of different social services organizations, educational organizations, philanthropic organizations, and in the process of developing a plan to methodically give our children a chance. They don't, they don't have a chance, given the way the present structure is. And that's why we're talking about disrupting this process and transforming it. So all of our children, economically disadvantaged, white children, you know, all of our children
0: have a chance to survive and be productive for society. Just hit a nerve with me and you know why. It's because uh, just before uh, my firstborn son came along, uh, my grandmother was killed in the city of Detroit where we're speaking from right now. And I went back to find out what had happened and Caesar knows this story. I went back to find out what had happened and it turns out that the person who killed my 85-year-old grandmother was a 14-year-old Detroit public school high school dropout. Now let me let, let, let that sit there for a second. When you talk about education being game-changing, I remember someone saying to me early in my career in education, well, you know, the good news is you're not in the field of medicine. Nothing you're gonna do is going to kill someone. Well, that's not really true when you think about it. The consequence of the things you're talking about, the change you're talking about inspiring, is absolutely game-changing to students who are economically and sociologically disadvantaged. Without education, they don't have a chance to build themselves out of where they're currently at. And I think I learned that firsthand from the experience with my grandmother. And I look at the things you're doing with students in the city of Detroit now, and it just warms my heart because every child that we reach is a child that doesn't go the path of the of the young man who, who found my on a, on, a, on, a, on a particular day and changed the course of his life and mine as a consequence of it because he didn't see the value of the education you're talking about. And Ron, to your point is we, we don't know If
1: these children can have the cure for cancer, these children can be the next explorers Mm -hmm. in outer space. These children can be the next great baseball player, whatever, right? This hidden potential is not maximized. And I was just reading some stuff on reconstruction this morning. My colleague of mine in California sent me some additional stuff. And I've done a lot of research on it. But after slavery, they consciously tried to stifle the development of, of African-Americans consciously, right? And we're still paying for it, you know? But just think, if we could come together to develop a system of education that provides an opportunity for our children to develop to their maximum level.
2: Just think I'll just one thing that's right. Caesar is it has to be partnership with the communities.
0: Absolutely,
2: have have the absolutely,
0: absolutely, so well said.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I, and I think we have a model. You know, models like yours, Madeline, I think need to be replicated, you know, and, and replicated and customized. So I'm not saying just transfer from here to over there, but it has to be replicated and, and the model customized to meet the needs of that community. And, you know, all communities want their children to develop. I've never seen a community that don't want their kids to develop. Right. Unfortunately, they don't have the wherewithal to develop it. And I think that's where we are, you know, in terms of transforming and, and education overall. And I mean, taking action steps, you know, it's cool to talk about all this stuff. But at the end of the day, it's action steps that we have to take to ensure what we're talking about actually gets implemented.
2: Right. And, you know, I've always had uh, dreams of and, you know, when you drive and you think about, you know, what would be something to do. but um, you know, the, where happened to the community centers? We mm-hmm. need so many more swimming. When I was in school and the, I, I'm a, I was a product of Detroit Public Schools um, for, for most of my school career, but we had buses taking us to swimming class. We had, I used to go to the Tendo Rec Center. You um, had so many programs after school that were in that, you know, that whole community piece. Um, so just, you know, going to school between those hours aren't enough, because trust me, when the kids leave the building um, and some of the communities, it's a whole nother thing waiting on them. And that is a pull. And, and we're, we're, we're like this pulling at those kids. So we've got to get more allies in the community. So it's more choices, positive choices to build on what we're doing in the schools.
0: I totally agree with that. A hundred percent. Caesar. when you talk about a model for transformation, I think we've Uh, set upon a course here. Mm -hmm. Um, I think today's podcast is a prelude of others to come. And I think it's a prelude uh, for discussion with other dynamic education leaders like Madeline. I want to thank you for joining us today.
2: I've enjoyed it.
0: I've Mm -hmm. enjoyed it so much. It's It's been tremendous. It has. This is also a prelude to many more conversations where Mm -hmm. we start to connect the dots, where we say we're not going to accept that every child doesn't have access to a high quality education mm-hmm. we're not going to accept that children can't learn or that their learning starts to fall off just at the time when their skill development is so important and that's mm-hmm. in the middle school and high school i think that's i think what you uh, have helped me to understand from today's discussion is how transformation works mm-hmm. it works in taking this simple concept in building a conspiracy of the caring, you know, a coalition of the willing to
2: mm-hmm. come
0: together. And so, Madeline, thank you for joining Caesar and me today. Yes, Caesar, that's great, Madeline, as, always, as <laughs> always, you bring it to the table when we sit down to talk about these things. And I just hope our audience um, is ready to strap in and talk with us in subsequent episodes because we're going to really lift the lid here. Yeah, it's going to be really hot
1: too, right, Ron? Because Absolutely. But what they haven't They haven't seen Ron and I go back and forth because we don't always
0: agree now.
2: That's exactly right. That's
0: exactly right. In
2: closing, if I could just say in closing, um, I'm enjoying my time here with you guys today. And I want to just give a shout out to, you know, I know we've talked about, you know, some different teachers and where they are in their past, but I believe people going to education pretty much for the most part have a heart for children and they also have deficits and they can learn and grow and be better for the children they serve. And I believe all educators, that's what they're in it for.
0: Yeah, especially the ones that work for you. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Madeline, that's absolutely, you know, caesar that's absolutely right. You can hear her energy. Right. You love she has children. And as a parent, that's what you want for your kids, right? You want to make sure that if you go into your school district and you find Madeline's your superintendent, you start, you walk out of there with your hands up like That's this. Absolutely say, I'm right. Happy. Yeah. I'm happy because this is going to be fighting for my kids yes. It's got and me absolutely. in trouble a
2: couple, a couple times. After I tell you a story where I got in trouble, because I let myself, you know, I go after my kids and protect them at all costs. And you got to be careful because I put myself in a pretty bad, harmful situation. But I got my kid to a safe spot. <laughs>
1: okay, great. That's, That's, great. That's I
2: don't, what counts. I don't, advocate it. I don't advocate it, but, you know. Is do what, what it
0: you is. Have to do. Okay. Well, great, thank you so journey. much for your work, man. And thanks for joining us today. And to our audience, we hope you join us next time when we talk about other issues that can help disrupt and transform education. Thank you so much. Yeah, this take is Ryan These are Mickens. Yeah, take care, Bye-bye. guys. Bye bye.